Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com i'm mick garris and this is postmortem i just want to say a little about our change of venue this season our first series was done with podcast one they are the world's biggest podcaster and it was quite an honor to be asked to do a show for and with them it was an amazing opportunity to share our conversations with the widest possible audience and they were encouraging every step of the way They never objected to any direction I wanted to take the show, and they were quite supportive. But when it came time to decide on a second season, it became clear that it was not the perfect fit. Most of the shows on Podcast One are hosted by radio and television celebrities, and I am certainly not one of those. There are over 200 shows on their network, and one that appeals to a more niche audience, specifically an audience devoted to horror and the outre, can easily be lost in the shuffle. We also had to deal with censorship issues, which is certainly something we in the genre are not unused to. But for these conversations to be freewheeling and honest, the bleeps for certain four-letter words were jarring at the very least. Like the best works in the genre, these talks work best uncensored, and we weren't able to go there unfettered. Again, they never got in the way of anything we wanted to say. It's just that some of those words got the axe. Also, Can I be honest about reading commercials for pet supplies and used car selling services? I never wanted my representatives to put me up for commercials because I just don't want to sell shit. I'm not an announcer and I'm not a salesman. My purpose here is to be inquisitive, to find out how different artists responsible for creating our greatest fears practice their craft, to see what inspires them, to get insight into the creative process in the dark side of the arts. I think our new home here at Blumhouse is a much better fit. They know the genre and love the genre and respect the genre. And their only other podcast is The Wonderful Shockwaves, hosted by my friends Rob G., Rebecca McKendry, Ryan Turek, and Elric Kane. This place feels like home, a place for kindred spirits to gather. So welcome. I often talk about how entranced I am by films from different places around the world, and our guest is a wonderful example. French filmmaker Alexandre Aja hit the genre festivals like a mallet to the head with his powerful horror thriller Haute Tension, known here as High Tension, before being taken under wing by no less than Wes Craven for the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. We'll be speaking with Alex in just moments and find out what makes him tick. You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts, literally, to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer, 
Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. So, Alexandra, you were born into the into filmmaking. Tell me how you grew up. Your father was a well-known director and producer, and your mother was a film critic. Yes. So, as far as I remember, I was uh, on set. I think I think I do a little um, appearance, kind of a little part in my second uh, the second feature that my father directed in eighty one. Wow. And uh you were only like two years old or yes, something? Yes, pretty much. And uh <laughs> but I, I don't really remember this time. I remember the the one after where I had a bigger part. And the funny fact is that Luc Besson was the second unit director. Oh my god. And so he had to shoot most of my uh uh scene or element. There was one thing where I had to eat like a big cake with my hands uh, as a kid. And, <laughs> and that's something that, you know, you will always remember. And I remember him as well. And, and it was like a funny, because years later, Luke produced High Tension. And, and so right. there was a, that whole, it started somehow. Well, your father produced High Tension as well, right? Yes. So yeah. Luke Besson and your father produced it. Tell me how the film came to be. So um, I did uh, a short film when I was 18 uh, called Over the Rainbow, and that short film had, was selected in the official section in, in Cannes. And uh, that was the last year where the, the jury was feature film and short film. Uh-huh. And so, I mean, I had the chance to have like Tim Burton being part of that jury that was really spectacular. At 18. For yeah, that was, that, was, that was really unexpected. And... Um, at the time, we were sh- writing uh, with Greg Levasseur, who was my long-time writing partner and producing partner and best friend. We met when we were like 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were writing this adaptation of that short story by Julio Cortázar called Graffiti. And that was a sci-fi love story uh, in the near future. And the script, you know went really fast and we uh, we had it like a, a we won like a prize for the script and then we got financing and Marion Cotillard uh, was you know acting in the movie and the movie got made but then <laughs> let's say that movie was not like the best movie ever it was a lot of weak uh, element and the movie turned into a disaster when it was released like Ouch. I mean really like I was. This is Otencio. No, 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 that, this, no. That was that was Furia. Yeah. Was, okay. Oh, was, yes, yeah, Furia. That, that I was, thought. Wait, I can't imagine anything no, 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 disastrous no, no, about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, Furia, and yeah, and, and right. Furia was disaster, and I thought that I will never be able to make another movie ever. How old were you when you made Furia? Uh, I was twenty uh, when I directed the movie. The movie released like two years after. Washed up at twenty-two. Yes, exactly, <laughs> and. That was quite hard because, yes, you know, it was easier for me because I grew up on set. I knew the people. I had like shorthand with a, a lot of, uh, you know, head of department, and and so people were really critics, especially were very hard with me. It was kind of like, oh, you know, he got his the spoiled kid, yes, who's, exactly, but yeah. got his movie, which was quite unfair because we we got the financing. Uh, without being linked to you know my father or, or anyone, but anyway, the movie was not a success, and with the exception of my grandmother and a few friends, I don't think that anyone ever watched the movie. <laughs> but it was funny, like we had like some weird thing, like Brian May, 
Right, from the composer, Queen. Yeah. yes, from Queen. No, not the oh oh not, not the, the composer, film composer, not the, the film composer. The, oh, the guitarist from Queen. The, the, yeah, <laughs> Holy like, shit! Yes, did the the soundtrack for the really? movie. Really? Yeah. Wow. And I think we sold more, um, you know, album than we did videos. Admission. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but wow. I mean, that was a great adventure. But then it was a big, uh, a big disappointment uh, when the movie didn't, uh, you know, find the audience. And with Greg, we kept writing script, and we had like a, a sci-fi thriller about cloning and. And then we still have the idea of doing something very simple, very classic, you know, in the vein of The Last House on the Left mm -hmm. or Maniac, do uh, like a movie about those two girls in one, in one night in that house with that killer, something that was really almost without dialogue. At the time, there were this movie uh, Mute Witness. Oh, yeah, that's a great film. Yeah, that was kind of also an inspiration. And uh, so we were writing this script, and in the same time, we did a lot of second unit work for um, other French directors, a lot of uh, stunts and mm -hmm. effect unit. That was great. We learned a lot doing that. And um, the script of High Tension was finished, and we got it um, fully you know, financed, And then something really awful happened uh, in France. Uh, a young kid went to uh, kill his girlfriend, stabbing her like 16 times, Oof. wearing the scream mask. Oh. And somehow that was the second time that Wes Craven kind of entered in my life in an indirect way. Right. The first time was the way I met uh, my best friend Greg and my you know, business partner, when we were like 11, 12, was around Shoker. Oh, wow. So that was the first time. That was the second time then like this awful story happened. That's not West responsibility. That's not uh, what I'm saying. Right. But, but here was, you have two unwitting involvements exactly, with exactly. Wes Craven, uh, with whom your lives would connect very deeply very exactly, soon. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and the whole uh, uh, financing collapse. Oh. At that point, and we were just like a couple for of all weeks. of the genre, or just this movie in particular for all the genre in France at the time. Yeah. And in fact, to be honest, there were no genre in France at the time. So and still, the, there's a bit, a but little bit. After high tension, I think they, you know, high tension kind of opened a pass for that French role. for things like Martyrs and Eels yeah. and and the Gaspar Noé yes, films, yeah. Irreversible. We'll talk about that. Too. And 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 so we um, we were just like the movie's not going to happen. And Luc Besson came on board and saved the movie. Really? He, he took, you know, the world movie, fully financed the movie. He, he had only one note. That's quite a big one because that was a question that been talked a lot on the movie was about the ending. The script mm. that he received first had that final uh, twist where at the end of the movie we were coming back to Cécile de France Uh, 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 in the hospital telling the story and the doctor was bringing, um, you know, a like, a, a, like a video to show her the security cam from the gas station. Mm -hmm. And you, you were understanding at that point that everything that she told was a lie and that the movie was right. another story. And Luke wanted that final scene to become the third act of the movie. Uh -huh. And that we will discover... Uh, uh, that she is the killer, you know, almost like 
half an hour before the end. I see. And that was a great idea um, to, you know, like in the theme and in the visual and I think for the movie itself, but it raised a lot of logical questions. Mm-hmm. And I kind of regret that we didn't nail, you know, like the... I, I didn't watch the movie since it was finished. Right. But I still think about like another way to have made that ending bulletproof. Because I know that a lot of people found that the movie was really interesting but had that problem with the ending. The, really? Because the film became a sensation. That, that's something we were not expecting. Greg and I, we just wanted to make a tribute to all the movies that you know, kind of inspired us. Right. Uh, it was really like from Texas and so Massacre to Last House to Maniac to, um, you know, some more obscure one like Torso. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, but I was really like a, 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 just an homage to, to that cinema. An homage and pastiche in a way. Yeah. yeah and also somehow a reaction. We were making this movie in reaction to a decade the 90s mm-hmm. that were kind of disappointing in terms of... Cinematically? True, yes. Yeah. True. I, I, I would say not maybe the beginning of the 90s but the second half of the 90s and somehow somehow because of Wes. Yeah. You know, because of Scream. Ah. You know, and yeah. that's... I mean, I, I really like Scream but Scream kind of opened a commercial pass for the genre that took it too too much to the uh, high school, right? Uh, uh, the teenage humor, the, and, exactly, yeah, and, yeah. and not the very serious, visceral fear, the brutal, uh, um, you know, like absolute horror from the seventies and the eighties. Well, you know, Carpenter kind of did that with Halloween. He opened an, a whole new branch of filmmaking. I think Hortensian uh, did that in France and inspired a very brutal, very humorless kind of yes, horror. That's true. <laughs> and I mean, was was that what you were trying to do? Was embrace the Toby Hooper, the John Carpenter? Yes, the, that the was seven? that was really like to to go back to that emotion that we had watching all those movies in VHS. You know, and and going to all the video clubs, and having all our free time, just being like, we need to see every movie in the in in the video store. Was it always the horror genre that attracted to you, or yeah. you were attracted to? You know, I think the reason why I always love uh, horror more than any other type of movies were because when it was well executed and well made. It was the type of movie that has the less distance between you and the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always look for the immersion. This is this is my uh, my ultimate uh, uh, goal when I do a movie, and I think that's also what I like the most when I watch a good movie is to forget that I'm watching it. So it's an intimacy. Yes, I, I like I like the, the the crossing on the other side of the mirror. I like to be. Uh, uh, to leave a movie and not to watch it, you know. Every right. time I kind of I'm back in my seat and I'm watching the movie, there is something wrong. Yeah, There's you're something. thinking about how it's made. Yes, or exactly. look at that shot is so great. And yes, that music. and 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 that's you know a lot of uh, the co-audience. You know, like they they I never been on the side of the co-audience that have a, an absolute passion for Dario Argento. Or, right, or, and and it goes into that. That for that reason, you know, I will choose Deliverance 
or take session to massacre mm-hmm. over any of Dario's movie. Right. Like, not a question. Because when I watch Texas or when I watch uh, Deliverance, I'm in the movie from the beginning to the end. You forget how it's made. Yes, I'm yeah. like completely sucked in the story. I'm with the character. I feel for them. I'm scared with them. And that's really what got me in the, in the genre. And I remember the the moment where I kind of discover that uh, power of the images. Uh, I was, I think, somewhere around six or seven. Wow. And I um, went to the video store and I rent a movie and that was supposed to be Superman 2. And I don't know how, I end up having The Shining. Oh my. <laughs> that was like a, a <laughs> Six years old. Like seven, let's, yeah, okay. let's say seven because yeah, a big I, difference. Uh, yes, yeah, okay. <laughs> and and I remember putting the, you know, like putting the VHS in the machine, and understanding really fast with the first shot and the music that I was not watching the right movie. Mm. But I couldn't move. I was petrified with fear and fascination. Well, you were the age of Danny Torrance in yes, that I was, story. I, at but that I was time. literally like in a trance, and I think it took me at least half an hour before I managed to go and, and stop the movie. Oh. And, and, and that stayed like one of my first really nightmare and, and trauma, but it's also that moment I understood, you know, that the power of, of pictures, the power right. of cinema, and the power of great cinema, obviously, but also... I realized that then to get rid of my nightmares induced by uh, Shining, I had to <laughs> tell what I've seen to my friend in school. Right, to share it. Yes, and, and starting sharing it led me to that, oh, you know, like you capture attention. You have like, a, when you start telling an oral story, people are actually intrigued and, and they want to know more. And there is something that, you know, get more directly to your um, guts. Right. Well, you use the word immersion, which is, I think, great. What What are the actual tools that you use to connect with an audience in that way? I mean, uh, could you can you be specific about lenses or sound or h- how you approach that sense I, of intimacy? I walk, um, you know, I did, I did a movie in, uh, in 3D, uh, Piranha. I just did some um, VR episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Oculus, which is like supposedly the the most immersive technique ever, because you actually, you know, you have a 360 in stereo around you, and you are in the in the story. But the one thing I kind of understood is that it's not the tool that make the immersion; it's really the storytelling and the characters, the characters who draw you into it's, their it's, story. Exactly, it's yeah. only the characters. If if the characters are not believable if the characters' choices are not believable, if the dialogues are not believable, if anything feels like a showstopper, you just get out. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you, 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 you stop leaving the movie. And, and it's not about the 3D or the sound, or everything. Everything, of course, helps. You know, it's, right. it's great to have the tool that we have today to create that experience. But at the end, it's really the story. And it's how you're going to take people by the end and take them into your story. So writing is an important, that's the jumping off point. And you do that with your partner. 
I, I, I did, you know, not on every movie, but right. I'm really involved in the writing no matter what. And to be honest, I don't really see a difference between the movie when I'm writing them or when I'm just overseeing someone else writing them. It's all part of the same process. It's part of the same process mm -hmm. of being sure on the page that you have all the elements to create that immersion. Now, because you were brought up by parents who were a part of the film industry in France, was it always something you just naturally went into? A lot of people rebel a bit against what their parents stand for. Of course. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I, I started by, you know, wanted to do many, many things like any little boy. But then I realized, you know, it came with the writing. I, when I was 13, we, we created this uh, high school newspaper and I was pretty much a newspaper based on short stories. Hmm. And so it was all about. I did the us. same thing. <laughs> so it was all about writing short stories. Yeah. And I think that somehow I would have loved to become a writer, just a writer. Mm -hmm. You but, mean a novelist? Yes. Mm -hmm. but, but some, you know, because I grew up on set and I saw my father directing, and I had the impression that all his you know, life I never seen him really walk. It was kind of, uh, you know, like it was walking, but it was but not it was really. Play. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like never have the feeling to be walking. Uh, and so the writing also of script was easier than writing, you know, mm -hmm. novel. And so with, with Greg, I think... Doing we, a blueprint as yes, opposed to yeah. the words to communicate. The newspaper lasts for two years. Mm. And then after with Greg, we, we started writing scripts. Mm -hmm. It was really about just every hour that we had, every after school, we were just going back to my place or his place and we were just writing script. Is The Shining the first movie you remember? Well, first of all, when did you watch it all the way through for the first time? It took me a long time. I think that I watched The Shining, the full movie, uh, I was like 11, 12. Oh, so it took you another four or five years. Yes. So... What was the movie that you first saw where you appreciated what a movie was? Uh, was it something of your father's or? Uh, I mean, you know, he doesn't speak English, so I can say. <laughs> <laughs> you can say anything you want here. I can say anything I want. Uh, no, I, um, I think that the first movie, I mean, you know, it's going to be pretty classic for my generation was Star Wars. Yeah. I, I remember like waking up before going to school every morning and watching yeah. and watching Star Wars and watching it again and again and again and again. That was really like the the, the... the the And then, of course, all the classic. I mean, the Gremlins was maybe, you know, like the one of my favorite yeah. Back to the Future, of course. I mean, it was that All these magic. things I worked on. My first job was answering phones for the original Star Wars, and I did the making of Gremlins and <laughs> all that stuff, and watched them shoot Back to the Future. Yes, I mean, <laughs> it, it, is, it is a magic decade. It was... So you were a Spielberg baby. Yes, completely. I mean, like yeah. there is... I mean, E.T., uh, I, I remember, like, we were shooting uh, this movie where Luc Besson was my... was the second unit director, and... Jeremy Thomas, that's his name? Yeah, the, boy. Yeah, the, the producer. Yeah. No, 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 oh. not, not Jeremy Thomas, oh, sorry. Uh, uh, Henry, Henry Thomas. Thomas. Yeah, Henry yeah. Thomas. The, I've worked the, with him several times. Yes. Yeah. Henry Thomas was doing this uh, remake of the Comanchini uh, 
the misunderstood. You know, like the, those two boys uh, with the ambassador in the garden. One of the oh, boys oh, died. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, with Tom Holland. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, what was the remake of the window? Yes. Yeah. And and they were shooting. What was the name of that movie? Anybody? The okay. Incompresso. Uh, yeah. in, it's an Italian remake. I mean, it's a movie based on an Italian movie. Right. And they were shooting in the same place. And I remember having my first, like, you know, I was five or six, and he was, I think, 10 or 11. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is Elliot. Yeah. You know, like, this, is, this is like, I was like really fascinated by, by uh, I mean, this movie was definitely one of the, the first uh, you know one that changed your life right was it at that point you thought that's what you wanted to do no I, at that point I was just you know I love movies uh, I wanted to I don't know I mean you know like be a fireman or, or, <laughs> or like a, or, or, that's what I was thinking or research I mean yeah. you know like do something very different but then you know it, it's 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 later on when you look back where you 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 know, there is a few things. I, I was talking to um, to Sam Remy a, a few days ago about mm -hmm. uh, the fact that he grew up in in a, in a generation where eight millimeters was available and used, yeah, and was fantastic, and yeah. he could make movies in eight millimeters, and that was great. I grew up in a decade where eight millimeter didn't exist anymore, and I was that awful. You know, uh, uh, video, uh, oh, VHSC, VHSC and, VHSC and, and yeah. stuff, and and I was privileged. I had the material. I could have started shooting, but every time we were trying to do some short film or some funny stuff with the video, it looks so bad. Mm -hmm. And I had like this this aesthetic kind of. Uh, It doesn't look anything like a movie, right? And so because of that, I went to the writing side. Uh -huh. Because writing, everything was possible. And I think that if I had, uh, you know, if I had had that eight millimeters access, I might have done more movies instead of writing. Because and it's think, more filmic and not yes. so homemade looking. I mean, when you, yeah. when you look at eight millimeters, it looks amazing. Still yeah, today. I mean, that's the first thing. I, uh, this is pre-Super 8, too. Yes. This is just eight millimeter. Those were the first things I did when I was 12. Yeah. And I look at, yeah, the VHS camcorders of the day, it just looks homemade. Yeah. And every generation goes down looking shittier and shittier as you do your editing. Filmmakers are intuitive as well as intellectual. Now, you had two sides of it because your father was a filmmaker. Your mother was a, a cinema critic. So it was in, an intellectualization of the film process. How, how much did that influence your thinking about film? Uh, she was not a critic when I was a kid. When I was a uh -huh. kid, she, was, uh, she had a very funny job. She was, um, she was on TV every morning, wow. and she was part of the um, host of the Good Morning Friends. Really? And she was presenting Gadget. Like really, like invention. That really? was her. Oh, she, this like, is, she was the tech. Yes, exactly. <laughs> specialist. So everything that she was showing on TV ended up home. Ah. So we had all the. <laughs> this had to be the best job in the world for yes. you. I mean, for me, she was the closest to the the father in the Gremlins. 
Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's pretty much. And I think that's the Hoyt Axton character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why I, I I really wanted to become an inventor or, or a ah. because she was. And we were going to all those fair where we were meeting like people that were inventing like the most stupid things ever, like the 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 new size of frying pan or the <laughs> the, 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 the to do like a foie gras sorbet or like whatever. Like oh, this you know, is like, fantastic. So that was funny. But she, in, you know, after that that job when I was kind of twelve, she became um, she was doing the music for a long time. She was critic really? for the music, ah, and I then see. she became the, the cinema. But I think she started being a. Um, French uh, national television critic. Uh, I was already eighteen, so, so so you were filmmaking already. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, you know, like we were. She she was taking me to see movies twice a week. Wow. Well, what must it have been like? She was obviously well known by everyone in France, uh, being the host, one of the hosts of this morning show. So that must have been an odd way to see movies. You'd go to screenings rather than yeah no no it was it was you know like regular cinema and yeah. she yeah she was quite known but she was not I mean it was I don't realize because my dad was quite famous in fact yeah yeah he was more famous than her so I didn't ever realize that she, people were recognizing her in the street but her, her face was more recognizable yes, yes, yes. yeah so. Um, what was your dad's palette in film? And does your uh, interest in this dark side of cinema uh, come from some place of his work, like Return to Algiers is a famous yeah. one of his films, things like that? My, my, my dad um, had, uh, you know, like a strong... I mean, m- my dad's life uh, um, went through the big history with the big age. And and he you know he was born in Algeria. He has to leave uh, during the war when he was uh, fourteen, and so there were a lot, a lot of real you know like events, right? And, and Historical was, events, yeah. And it was a really time. tough for him, and he really started from. I mean, I think he began by like saying like poetry in the streets in front of cafe, wow. interest. So it was really like coming from. From nowhere and having no privilege, and 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 he made himself. He became an actor, then he became a stage director, and then from the stage director, he started to, uh, um, you know, direct some TV uh, mm-hmm. uh, specials, and then did his first movie. Was big success, and you know, did. But every single of his movies were part of his life. Right. You know, it's it's a very autobiographic. Right, uh, uh, walk, uh, and so they would be political and yes, social exactly. as well because his life reflected that from and, Algeria. To and he was he was not the only one. I mean, he was, you know, like a member of a community that was representing millions of people that moved, you know, at that point. So his cinema was some kind of mirror for that group of people and for the other one that has to welcome them, you know, from one day to the next. So. His cinema was a very popular cinema that was very successful, but very anchor in in history and his own and personal. Right, right. And growing up and writing, I couldn't really find anything interesting in my uh, uh, rich little boy life. <laughs> you know, like I, yeah. I, I mean, I prefer to be honest. It was just yeah. like I was, you know, privileged. I didn't have problem. I grew up in Saint Germain des Prés. You know, it was kind of. Uh, so somehow I got interested in um, 
in a different type of stories. So the fantastique yes, had exactly. an appeal to you that might not have if you'd had the life your father lived. Exactly. I think the supernatural, the, the horror, the science fiction were like really places where I found myself in a legit you know, space where right. I could actually tell story the way I want and put personal stuff in them, but not having to assume, you know, like just, you know, my life that was, I think, not as interesting as his. Right, right. Well, and it's reflected. Is that why you go by Aja instead of Arkady? Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, when I did that uh, um, high school newspaper, I was just signing with my uh, initial, Alexander Jouan, my mom, uh-huh. Arkady, my dad. Right. And I was A-J-A. So that was my uh, uh, initial when I was writing. And so I kept that name when I started doing short film because I didn't want people... When I did my first short film, I didn't want people to to know who I was. I, want, I wanted to prove myself that I could get financing for a short film, that I could get a crew and people without being like you know, uh, the son of Alexandre Arcadie. Right, so, uh, which is something in common with somebody we're going to talk about soon. You worked with Joe Hill, the son of uh, Stephen King. I worked with him, too, when he was a PA Mm -hmm. on the stand when he was 18, 19 (laughs) years old. And he went to a publisher with his first novel without telling him he was Stephen King's son. He used the name Joe Hill and did this great book deal, and that happened. So it's the same sort of thing yes. with you. You didn't want to be known as your father's son. But then, you wanted then, to do it on your own merits. And, and that's something I think I share with, with Joe, and we talk about that, is the fact that after that first moment where you have to prove yourself, at some point people find out. And, right. and when they find out you have two ways to go, or you deny and you kind of build a wall, or you embrace it. Yeah. And because, you know, my dad is one of the most important person in my life. I talk to him every day. I show him, you know, every cut of my movies. And, and unfortunately, I cannot give him the script because he doesn't speak English. So, <laughs> But he's always, you know, very involved. We are producing a movie together. We, you know... I, it is like a really, really strong friendship, and I completely assume the the legacy of of you know what I learn with him in filmmaking is something that you don't learn in in film school. I learned uh, how you lead a crew, how you behave on set, how you deal with the time, or you never give up when a project seems to be lost. Uh, and and all those elements, you know, I'm really happy and proud to be to be his son. And I think that Joe has the exact same approach, you know. Right. Is so close to his dad, and and yeah, they very work, much. So. They work together, and I mean, this is great. And and he has no problem of saying yes. You know, I'm, you know, I'm his son, and 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 both of you were able to establish yourselves with some success without anyone knowing of that connection first. Yes. So, in the case of haute tension, or high tension, um, tell me about that experience of making this movie and suddenly having this tremendous festival success. It was a a big surprise, and um, the the movie was finished. We showed it to Luc Besson, he was very happy with it. And he called us and, and, and told me, I said, like, here's, I wrote that script and I would like you to direct it next. It's going to be your next movie. And the movie was um, District, District 13. The, oh, the 13, right. I mean, 
Bolieu 13. It was a French action movie. Right, I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that was supposed, supposed to, to be, be you. That was supposed to be my movie after. Yeah. And I read the script and I knew from the first page that was not what I wanted to do. But I was so scared because I knew what happened with my first feature and the disaster. And at that time, High Tension was just a small horror movie and I had no idea that it would be a success, that people will watch it. And so I had to say yes. And we started you know, like pre-production on mm -hmm. this action movie. We did the casting. We did some very big rewrite on the on the script. We scout. What kind of budget was this movie going oh, to that be? That was huge at the time. It was already like a 15 million euro. And how much did High Tension cost? High Tension cost $2 million. Wow. That's so, still a good yeah, that good was, price no, for an independent we, thriller like oh, that. Yeah, we had 36 days of shooting. That was That's really, fantastic. And, but because we went to Bucharest... And, and Bucharest right. was the place that gave us all that production value. Uh, yeah. Like the same um, budget. I remember we did one in southwest of France where the action is supposed to take place. And we were like close to five wow. million. You know, so yeah. France is expensive. So yeah. that, was a, that, was a, that was a really good deal. Too. So here's this big step-up deal with, with Luc Besson. And, and, but you read the script. And I'm not, I'm not into it And you're all. just trying to talk yourself into, this is going to be great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and, and that's the only way because I, I have that feeling that Hydension will not go anywhere. I'm super happy with the movie. I feel that you know, we did something good that's efficient, yeah, that's yeah. going to... But I don't believe that the movie will... Uh, and I remember we are in um, June and the movie release in France. And we have some very good critics, very good review. I mean, it's, 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 it's like really better than what I was expecting. But the movie doesn't perform. Ah. You know, we, we, I think altogether we did 100,000 or 100, you know, like 20,000 admission, mm -hmm. which is really not like a great number. No. But, you know... Everyone's happy, and I'm still working on, on this movie. And So you, you started pre-production on yes. District 13 before High Tension yes. came out. Yeah, exactly. And, and we are going to start lo uh, prep on location in Bucharest again mm -hmm. when I receive a call from the line producer saying, oh, there were an accident during the training, and the main actor, Cyril Raffaelli, um, uh, cut his uh, Achilles heel. Oh, his Achilles tendon, yeah. Tendon was, you know, mm -hmm. like uh, uh, destroyed. Oh. And so I went to, I mean, I should not say that, but, uh, you know, it's true. I, uh, on the moment, I felt that it was something that this came was, from. Yeah, like from a, above. From above. <laughs> that was kind of saving me. Yeah. And, and so I went to see him at the hospital and they say, oh, at least three or four months. And you were breathing, breathing a sigh of relief. I was <laughs> like, Phew. Yeah. This is, this Not is, being selfish, but yeah, just, no, like, this we want like, you healthy, but we don't want to do this movie. <laughs> and so I, I talked to Luc Besson, and Luc was like, no, no, we have to wait for him. And so because of that, I was able to take the movie to uh, Midnight Madness in, uh -huh, Toronto. in Toronto. So that's where it really that's exploded. Exactly, yeah. Wow. And, and really, you know, I have to be absolutely grateful to Colleen Aguides and, 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 and the amazing work that he did over those years. At, at the Midnight Madness selection, yeah, because yeah. He, I'm not the only one. I mean, yeah. he revealed. Oh, it started many careers. Yes, yeah. I mean, he really, really put us on the map. 
and um, and you know, and I remember being with Greg in in Toronto, uh, and we were like just like going to the. We organized a day a day trip to go see the Niagara Fall, when like people said, no, 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 you have to stay, you have to stay. They are doing new screening of the movies. There is agent. There is yeah a lot of stuff and. And I was, and you're just going, yeah, yeah. And I, and I was, and that, everything started. You know, we, we, I met my uh, my agent, that's still my agent uh, today, and um, it was, uh, you know, the beginning of something else. Yeah. So, did you start getting offers? Um, at, at that point, yes. You know, we we had like another script that we really wanted to do that we were writing, and we started receiving scripts. And I think it was a month later where um, we organized our first trip to LA. And so we had a lot of meeting lined up. And we arrive on a Thursday afternoon and we going to William Morris uh, to meet with the agent and they're telling us all the stuff. And the first meeting we're going to have is with uh, Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> And that was a very funny one because I was like, is it a joke? Because he was a huge star in France at the time. And sure. And the whole thing was like, you know, whatever happened, don't say yes, don't say yes. <laughs> and I was like, why not? I mean, it's great. I love uh, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like, you know, part of my childhood. And, um, and so th- we had that, you know, Friday morning meeting that was absolutely surreal with Stallone pitching us he had seen uh, high tension and he pitching us like a psychic cop feature film that never happened, uh-huh. never been done. That, that, was, that was funny. <laughs> but in the afternoon, and that's the most important one, in the afternoon we had a meeting with Wes Craven. So he had seen high tension. He had seen high tension. And uh, the meeting was about a script that he sent us called The Witting. That was a ghost, um, ghost house Movie. Oh, so it was with Sam Raimi as well. Yeah. No, no, not oh, a ghost house. Oh, like a, oh just like a ghost story. House. Yeah, house. like a, an yeah. house. Not yeah. ghost house production. No, no, yeah. not a ghost house. But that's funny because we had a, also another project that Sam Raimi sent us in the right. same time. And I ended up having to choose between Wes Craven and Sam Raimi, which was like, yeah. I, if only <laughs> that's I, I could have one. imagined my life <laughs> being in, 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 you know, facing that choice. Uh, you know, it was just unbelievable. But yes, and and we um, we met with uh, with Wes about that script, and by the end of the meeting, Wes, you know, told us said, "Do you know the Hills of Eyes?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course we." I mean, busy do I know the Hills have I? <laughs> and he said, "Like you know, I'm. I would like to find a way to reboot or re. I mean, we were not using the word reboot at the yes. time. It was like." Not remake either. We like to to do another Hills of Ice today, mm-hmm. and we took that assignment like really, uh, you know. That was the one that excited you. Yes, and, so and as soon as he said that, you knew that's what you wanted to do. I, I you know, at the time, my uh, my agent was kind enough to give us his apartment, and he was like ah. sleeping at his girlfriend. <laughs> I was like really, and and we were like just you know like thinking about all the. And I remember that evening where the nuclear testing element that was going to be the center of the new Hills of Eyes came, uh, you know, in, in our mind. And f- 
week after, I think, we went back to Wes and we pitched him this idea and he got really excited. And that was the beginning of, you know, like, you know, that was... And you were off and running. Yes, yes. That was, you know, like I... When, when in English, that expression doesn't exist. In, in French, people say break a leg. Mm-hmm. That lead actor that break his leg <laughs> was really my, <laughs> yeah. my, my, my lucky moment. Yeah, wow. So how involved was Wes in the creative process, first in the writing stage and then in the uh, actual production of the film? So we, um, I think we close our deal to start writing... Uh, uh, during Sundance, where uh, Itension was also uh, selected, mm-hmm. and uh, but we we did start, in fact, early on because we were too excited to just yeah. wait. Yeah, we'll sign the papers, but <laughs> yeah. we're doing this. Yeah. No matter what, it's <laughs> yeah. too exciting to do. And um, so, yeah, we went. I mean, at that time, Wes was super, super, super busy. I mean, he was really, really like. Uh, uh, Absolutely. I mean, he was finishing the first shooting of Curse. Right, right. And he the was, werewolf movie. You know, yes. like getting ready for uh, uh, another uh, uh, Curse shooting. Oh, because, really? You know, they like, were planning on Curse 2. Yeah. No, no, not Curse oh, 2. Oh, no. I think they made Wes reshoot Curse. Oh, right, three right. Times. They did it, yes. Completely it reshot. Was, yes. It was endl- I yeah. mean, endless. He was yeah. so pissed off. And then he was doing this, uh, 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 he was supposed to leave Curse to do uh, Red Eye. Right. And so he was, I mean, you couldn't get Wes in the most busy time at that, at, at that point. So his involvement in the script was, you know, giving notes. He has some, uh, you know, doubt about a few things in the script. But he, he was kind of letting us do our, our Giving thing. you your own rope to yeah. hang yourself. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But that was that was interesting because we uh, we went out with the project and Dimension Bob Weinstein, who was doing Curse at the time with with mm-hmm. Wes, uh, optioned the Hills of Eyes, and we were making the movie for them. And we stopped, you know, going around and and scouting and going, you know, find the right place and casting. The script was approved. Everything was fine and. Another one of the story where just a couple of weeks before we started uh, uh, prep on location, uh, Bob Weinstein decided to change his mind completely and said, you have to do it for half of the budget or I'm not doing it. And Wes at the time was so pissed off mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. Bob and Curse and all that stuff. After all he'd done for their yes. companies. And, the and he was kind of like, you know what, I'm not... We're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. I'm going to sue them. I'm going to get uh, uh, my deal. and But we're not going to make the movie. Mm-hmm. And we just had spent like most than a year writing and developing. And this is your first Hollywood movie. Yes. And, 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 and the, we had, the love and passion you put we, into this. And we had passed on the Sam Raimi movie. Oh, that was, that was the, the messenger. Yeah. And we had passed oh, yeah, on yeah. House of Wax and, and a lot of other projects. And so we were just like the Hills of Ice. And that was our only, 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 only shot. And we see the whole thing collapsing and like mm. not going to happen. And we are freaking out. But suddenly something happened where everyone got excited by the idea of taking it over. 
Really? And Peter Rice, that was running uh, a Fox Searchlight at the time, mm -hmm. had uh, like a big success with 28 Days. Right. Came on board, and I think it's like, almost like over, over weekend, we were back, wow. ready with the same condition, with the right budget. And a couple of weeks after, we were in Morocco in pre-production. So that was, uh, that was spectacular. That was well, amazing. tell me about the difference between how you approach a movie, of a Hollywood movie, even though it's made in Morocco and it's an independent movie, versus having made a $2 million, a $2 million uh, uh, euro it, thriller. It was, it was the, pretty much the same process. You know, I was really scared about losing control on, on the making. And you were quite young. Yeah. Yes, I was really young, but also I grew up with my dad where you produce direct right most of the time mm -hmm. the movie when you It's your you, movie. When you do in fact in it doesn't say directed yeah. by it says un film de. Yes, exactly. You know, a yeah. film by. And 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 so you know I I had no idea of how to work without access to the budget without access to all all the sentiment. So that was one of the reasons why we chose the Hells of Ice over the Sam Raimi project mm -hmm. or House of Wax is because we kind of had this instinct that if we were writing, we would be uh, you know, occupying more space, that we right. were like having more control and we will not be put aside. It was you more know. your project than yeah. our project. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, <clears throat> and so another way to keep the control was to take the movie away and go where the production value was good. And that meant going to Morocco. Interesting. And, and Wes was really kind of nervous about that in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And we scout New Mexico, we scout uh, Mexico, we scout uh, 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 Namibia. Wow. <laughs> we scout... Uh, uh, because there's such a deep crew of <laughs> yes, talent that base there. But then Morocco was always like the scary part. But I had made my first movie, Furia, over there. Oh, and I had okay. uh, 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 shot two movies as a second unit. And I had produced uh, my ex-wife's first feature film that was shot in Morocco as well. Oh. So I really knew the people, knew the crew. And so I just keep pushing, keep pushing. And the numbers were much better. Sure. <clears throat> and so... I remember that, that moment where we went back to, to Wes and we put on the table pictures of New Mexico mm -hmm. and pictures of Morocco, but mixed together. Ah, can and you I tell I the say, difference? And I say, please, find a way. Because it happened that south of Morocco and New Mexico are the same altitude, ah, same latitude, right. same vegetation, same color, same everything. So he had to admit that it was the right place to, to go. And so... We, we went there to, to make the movie with mostly my crew from High Tension mm -hmm. and a few new people, especially Greg Nicotero. Yes, we love the KNB guys. Yes, you know, that was my big, uh, my big first, you know, collaboration with, with Greg. Yeah, and that was, he and Howard are just yes, the best. That was, that was really spectacular. So yeah, that was pretty much the... Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You've done original movies. You've done a remake. And here comes another remake. And something you would not imagine was in, you know, this, we're talking about Piranha 3D, mm -hmm. which has a lot of humor in it. And something, your first two films that were released in this country were very hard hitting, very gritty. Even, there's humor in Hills Have Eyes, but it's very dark. <laughs> yeah. Piranha 3D is really funny. And so is that part 
of what you brought to it, or it's, um, did that exist before you came involved? So Piranha Treaty was a title, uh, I think, Piranha Lake Avasu, mm-hmm. something. I mean, it was a, a, a spec script that we read, I think, in the same time than... Then you know, like the 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 waiting, the the first set of script, right? And we met with um, a group of uh, producer at the time, but we were absolutely not seeing eye to eye. I mean, we were like really cannot be in more disagreement. They were kind of the script was really fun and campy. It was really like an horror comedy with a lot of tits and a lot mm. of uh, <laughs> blood, and, and, yeah. and it was exactly you know the spring break and the attack, right? Uh, thing and. We went and they were like, oh, you know, we think we should move like the spring break element and we should do this and this. And I was like, oh, that's, I really like what you have. Right. So, you know, we ended up the conversation, that was it. But I kept this story and that script in my mind for a long, long time. Then we did The Hills of Eyes, then we did... Um, mirrors. Yeah. Mirrors. We produced P2. And when we were doing P2 in uh, Toronto... Um, uh, we were, you know, like Dimension reach out and say, oh, we heard through, you know, sources that at some point you liked the script of uh, of Piranha. <laughs> Back to Dimension. Back to Dimension. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I really, you know, like it. And then Bob at the time called me and said, you know, we did a big mistake with the Hills of Eyes. Really? I mean, Bob is always being really fair about assuming mm-hmm. and and owning is uh, you know uh, uh, what he did. He's not someone who's trying to rewrite or, or, or you know he's he was really like okay, you know what we lost we fucked up yeah, yeah we lost so much money by not doing the hills of eyes and let me you know let me make it to you and and let's do another movie together. So I have this. Um, a dinner in, uh, in in Toronto where we start talking about the script and the project and how much I, I liked, um, you know, Piranha. And I'm, you know, like pitching all the scene that I like and I see the faces in front of me, like being like smiling politely but not understanding at all what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I realize as I'm talking that I'm pitching them a script that they apparently never read. And I realize at that point they have the script that's still based on the same script that I read, but that went to development hell to five different uh, studio mm-hmm. to end up uh, with them. At the, at the time, it was Dimension and Wild Bunch. Oh, okay. Do, doing it together. And, and Wild Bunch is a French company. Yes, and I think the, um, the script was the one that I read at that point was Chuck Russell. Oh, really? Yes. And but he wasn't attached to direct. He was at some point, but oh, okay. couldn't because he was doing something else. I don't remember exactly the... So Chuck but, Russell directed Nightmare on Elm Street 3, and he did uh, the Blob remake, and uh, you know, a very well-known guy there, just for anybody who doesn't yes. know. And, and, and so I'm you know, reading that script, and I love Chuck Russell's work. Yeah. And, but the script I'm reading is absolutely not the movie I want to make. The, mm. the, as I said, there is no spring break. It's like during Fourth of July, but that's not even like a important in the story. So you're telling them all the things you loved in the yeah, script, like, and they're going, "What's he talking about?" Yes, like <laughs> in, you know, the parasailing girl getting eaten halfway, right. with her boobs out. The, I mean, like, all the different elements. That was so fun, and 
<laughs> and and so they, they you're like yeah no and they looked and they said, yeah hey, it's the same script but it's a full rewrite by someone mm-hmm. else and so I told them I said listen you know that Chuck Russell kind of very classic story about a, a diver group that gets stuck into a, a cave and with piranha being released and you know it's a, it's a, it's it's maybe a good movie it's not what I want to make what right. I wanted to make is this kind of over the top crazy girl uh, uh, extravaganza or a really great B movie yes uh, yeah. and, 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 and so you know like they say yes let's go and Wild Bunch at the time was not willing to go because that was costing more money as well I mean the Chuck uh-huh. Russell version was way cheaper than the version I wanted to uh-huh. and so Wild Bunch said no they went out and Bob decided to you know do the movie but that's the great thing with Bob, and and I'm gonna defend him for. I mean, like as you know, as Bob as, Weinstein, we're talking yes. about, yeah, not Harvey, not <laughs> Harvey, and really not Harvey. <laughs> okay, you know, Bob can be very hard and tough, and 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 sometimes treat people in a hard way. But he's, you know, when he believes in a movie, he will move mountain for it, and that's really what happened. We we were writing the script. And I call him one day and say, you know, like Avatar, they are doing Avatar in, with this new uh, 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 stereo system, and it's great for Avatar. And I can't wait to see a James Cameron movie in in, in stereo with that new system. But can you imagine a, mo- a really old movie with like going like completely over the top with it and and with the treating? Say, yeah, okay, good. <laughs> We're on. <laughs> We're on. And then the, we had the treaty on the title that day. And Piranha then, 3D. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, it was on everything. You know, I, I remember uh, uh, calling him and, and say, what do you think about having Dreyfus taking his part from Joe's? Joe's, yeah, and <laughs> Richard being, Dreyfus. And, and being in the opening of the, the, the movie. We had just a fisherman. Right. And I said, like, let's make it this like something really funny. <laughs> I said, yeah, let's do it. And he went and he got uh, Richard Dreyfus to, to How agree. amazing is that? Yeah. Uh, you know, so that was like great movie moment. And, and the movie is, is really like Spring Break Under Attack or Joe's Gone Wild. You know, yeah. it's, it's pretty <laughs> much. Did you talk to Joe Dante before you made the remake? So we, um, we didn't have a direct contact, but we were going to... My dream was to have him and James Cameron to, to, to come do a cameo mm-hmm. as a boat captain. Oh, great. You know, like during spring break, you always have this boat captain giving a safety speech right. to the drunk kids. So I had this kind of idea of having the two of them giving the safety speech. But unfortunately... That's, that would have been amazing. Joe was not available. I think he was shooting the the hole. Oh, the hole, yeah, and in the, 3D also. Yes, yeah. at that point. And something really sad happened with, with James Cameron. It's like we started the movie... Uh, by doing a real stereo and shooting real 3D. Mm-hmm. So we, we met with Vince Space. Vince Space is his, uh, you know, a camera guy who developed mm-hmm. all the system and, and stuff. And we were going to do it this way. And someone who just had made a movie told me, it's great, that works really well, except when you have water. Oh, no. And I said, why? Because, in fact, when you shoot real stereo... The, the the two cameras separated with the eye, like your you know, eye distance exactly, yeah. and and so every difference of lighting will broke, will break the the stereo, 
And water is a giant lens. Exactly. And the water reflecting the water will always change the lighting. Mm. So we had to make the call and decided to not go with the, the James Cameron technology and do, um, you know. Did you do a conversion? And do a conversion. So you shot it in 2D and converted to 3D? We, we shot it in an amorphic 35 millimeters and then, you know, have the conversion. And I was. At the time, it was supposed to be a great system because we were working with a company that just converted like part of King Kong, mm. the Peter Jackson King mm-hmm. Kong, and that was really spectacular what they could do. Unfortunately, we will not work with them after. And <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yes. it's like another another story. But and and so I I know that James took it like in in, in the wrong way. He took okay. it personally. Yeah, kind like, of. This uh, is my system, and you're rejecting yeah, it. Yeah, and he went after mm. the movie. When the movie got oh. released, he went. You know, he, he used Piranha as an example of uh, of how what, not to do three D. Yes, oh. exactly. And and I was I was kind of because I really you know I mean of course I have a, a gigantic admiration for him. Sure. And uh, and you know I, I I really wanted to have his blessing because he was also involved in the Piranha. Piranha 2, yeah, yeah, people don't remember that. that, that mm, that's uh, his first movie. Yeah, his first movie as a director. Okay, a couple of remakes, your own original movies, and now here's a best-selling book, Horns, Joe Hill, and tell me how that came about. I was finishing uh, Piranha and um, had to do a lot of back and forth between uh, Montreal and Toronto and sometime driving. And I remember listening to Hans' uh, audio audiobook. Oh, oh, okay. And from the first chapter, I had that conviction that that was the movie I wanted to make. What was it about that book that appealed to you so strongly? The the tone, the dark humor, yeah. the the genre shift. Mm. The way from one page to the next, the you know, like the style is changing, right? From super funny to super dark to super emotional to very scary to I mean to simple drama. I mean everything, and in a very organic way. Mm-hmm. I saw the story. I mean, reading the book, I had like that feeling going back to me wanting to be one day a novelist. I have a feeling that if I had the talent to write a book, I would have, that would have been yeah. this one. Oh, how amazing. So, so I, I really, really had like a, a I fell in love with, with, uh, with, you know, Joe Hill's work. So the book was not something that was brought to you, uh, but it was something you discovered on your own and then you pursued to make it into a yeah, film? Yeah, no, they sent me the... No, 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 they sent me the... Um, the audio book. No, they sent me the, um, the book. Ah, okay. And because I was going to drive, I saw that the book was also in, right. you know, audio version. So I just took it and I was... I said, okay, no, instead of reading the book, I'm going to listen to it for four hours as I'm driving. Right, right. And uh, and then, of course, I read the book. And, and But at the time, it was not... You know, Cathy Schulman got the right uh, on the novel and I met with her in the beginning and she didn't want to commit with a director right away. Mm. And at the time, Shia LaBeouf was attached to also play. He, wa- he also wanted to direct the, the movie. Oh, that's interesting. And um, and we uh, we discussed, we kept in touch, and I think it was like a few months after, 
I went back and I was like, you know, I I I need to make this movie. This is mm. there's nothing. I mean, I'm I never was convinced that much about something I had to make. So this became your passion project. Yes. And was Joe attached at the time as screenwriter, or was that um... no? Joe never been attached. He didn't want to be part of the yeah. of of the writing process. I think he was he had that very healthy attitude of saying, you know, I wrote the book and. What happened after? Like his father. Although, yeah. you know, the things I've done with his father, half of them he has written. Yes. And half of them other people, including myself, have yeah. written. Yeah. But yeah, that's a very healthy <laughs> attitude to take. The the one thing that King always says is, you know, people say to him, Oh, they really fucked up your book and he just points, The book is still on the shelf. It hasn't changed. <laughs> they may have made a shitty movie, but I got nothing to do with that. <laughs> it's not my responsibility. That that's yeah. And but you know Joe was involved. He came on set. We we mm-hmm. had a lot of discussion. He really helped me on the editing process. Really, you know, to uh. keep to keep the shift of tone, to keep a lot of stuff that I really like. Right. You know, there is a moment where people are looking to do something different, and they're all excited about doing something different. And then when they see something different, they kind of get scared. Yeah. And they want everything to go back on track. And that's where you need to defend and you need to stand for. And what so you Joe believe. came in and yes. helped not, you stay strong. N- not only Joe, I have to say that his father, you know, really, yeah, was very influential. Yeah, he yeah. really you know, loved the movie, loved the cut. I mean, if I could go back in time now, I will definitely wish that I could have done it as a limited series. Really? Yes. Yeah. Because I still, you know, I, I, I really like the movie. I'm very happy with the movie. Yeah. And, 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 and it's something that's very personal to me. And the collaboration and working with Daniel Radcliffe was amazing. And working with everyone. I mean, like, this is really, so far, maybe my best experience in Really? In oh, that's exciting. But I still feel that, you know, like, there was so much more in the book. There's too much story for one movie. Yes. Yeah. And, and if we could have done this thing over like four or five hours yeah. Well, with well, the same crew, with the same actors. Because at the time it was not, you know, like you were one of the only ones. <laughs> doing doing miniseries, yeah. <laughs> doing that. And even at that time, they were kind of dead. You know, they, now there are limited series all over the place that are great. But um, tell me about Daniel Radcliffe and how he became involved. I mean, here he's doing the biggest movies in the world and here's a relatively small-scale movie where he wears horns. <laughs> yes, he, he came after us. Really? Yes. So he was a fan of the book? Yes, he read the book and he asked for the meeting. And at the time, I had that very... I mean, I, I did that mistake of uh, seeing myself younger than I was. <laughs> and so when I read the I bo- always do that. <laughs> when, I, when I read the book, I was picturing, you know, like... This is, you know, like I, I, I seen myself, but I didn't yeah. realize that the character in the book was maybe twenty to twenty-five yeah. maximum. Yeah, and I was meeting with James Franco, and I was meeting with other people that were just way older than they that. were grown-ups. Yes, <laughs> and I, and I, and I took the meeting, and I remember we were at the at the full season here in LA. And Daniel came and we were talking and I was looking at him and I realized my mistake. And I realized that he was the character. Wow. That he was this kind of absolute romantic person. Right. The same way um, Ig, 
you know, Parrish is in in the book. Mm-hmm. He has this kind of uh, not romantic as a, a you know kind of uh, uh-huh. cheesy, right? But right. romantic as like living everything in the absolute way, right? And being committed to everything he was doing, and you know, like the 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 to walk with him was spectacular because he he, he came from years and years of being like you know, like the protagonist of a huge series of movies. But he was a kid when he did these movies. And yeah. kids have like a limited hours, limited right. number of hours. So he learned his craft of acting by never doing the blocking himself. Oh, he was, how he interesting. Was, he was yeah. coming on set and they were telling him, here's your mark, so you start here, you do this, 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 this. So people don't realize in the making of a movie that uh, when you're working it out for camera angles and for focus and all that, you, you do rehearsals first for performance, then for technical aspects. And oftentimes with actors, you have to use a stand-in in their place while they go get their makeup on. We set the lighting and the cameras on stand-ins. So that's a fascinating observation. Kids can only work X hours a day, seven so or can, eight hours. So you cannot waste that time yeah. by having them rehearsing. You have to you know, assume what they're going to do. Right. So uh, 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 he learned his craft in a very, very n- narrow frame. And I think uh, uh, horns and a few other movies that he chose to do uh, in the same time were the first time for him that he could actually embrace, you know, like the being really part of the, the process. And he's yeah. one of the, you know, most smartest person I, I know. Really? And he's also like the most uh, um, devoted. I mean, really, you know, like I never seen someone like him who it, not only he knows every single name of any crew members. Mm-hmm. He also take the time every day because you have to imagine he's the most well-known person in the world. Right. So if, no, matter, no matter where you are, there is a group of people coming to see him. Right. Everybody and, wants to see Harry Potter. And, and by night, by day, they are winning, they are winning. And even if he walks like 12 hours plus the hours of makeup that he has to remove, he will go see them. Wow. Every day, and he will talk to them, and he will take picture with them. Is is really someone who understand the the chance, the the luck, the the blessing of the success that he had, and didn't take it for granted. Yes, and also someone who takes his own choices. I mean, he's one of the most famous actor in the world, but he's also one of the most, you know, like. A bold one mm-hmm. is, is, is taking Swiss Army Man. <laughs> Swiss Army Man is like a <laughs> they masterpiece. Don't get wilder than that, it, it's yeah. it's crazy, and he always the only one to decide mm-hmm. on the movies making. Speaking of deciding on movies making, the next one for you is is that Super Adventure Cobra? No, that's that is was, that happening or that was a dream project. Uh-huh. I grew up watching this Japanese anime. Mm-hmm. And after Piranha, uh, you know, I had the op- possibility to secure the right and we developed the script and we we did, we went pretty deep into um, pre-production. We were doing it with uh, Lionsgate at the time and French uh, partner. And unfortunately, the change of regime at the time at Lionsgate when... Uh, uh, 
Joe Drake left mm-hmm. and the Summit people arrive, which are also people that produce P2 with me. Right. So I knew them, but they were not believing in that space adventure, huge movie. I mean, the, the budget was under than. 30 million. Oh, it's nothing. <laughs> so it was like crazy, but we had found yeah. a way to do it. And so because of that, things were got delayed and 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 Guardian of the Galaxy came on. Oh, yeah. And Guardian of the Galaxy were pretty much the, the twin of Cobra. Really? Uh, and, and the same That must character, have broken your heart. Same, yeah, I mean, every time I see my son playing with... Uh, Guardian of the Galaxy Lego. <laughs> with Groot toys. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, I'm Groot. picturing that parallel world where he's playing with Cobra uh, yeah. Lego. Uh-huh. Uh, but I was, yeah, that was kind of, uh, and then one of the elements of our pitch was it's time to do a new Star Wars. That also happened. Now it's done. <laughs> <laughs> so that was. So tell me what's next. So um, right now I finished uh, a VR or anthology. We did two episodes. Uh, first episode with Robert Englund, it's called Campfire Creepers, and it will come on the Oculus Store uh, very soon, I think by uh, mid-April. So Oculus is an exciting new format. Oculus is a new format. It's very interesting. The VR world is really like the beginning. <laughs> I don't know how much space there is for narrative VR. You mm-hmm. know, like I think the interactive VR is so powerful and so strong. But we tried. We did like a real uh, cinematic VR experience mm-hmm. with, you know, cuts, camera movements. Right, right. Like so you don't or, control everything you look at. No. The director actually directs. Exactly. Yes. And that was, a, that was a pretty cool experience. And uh, working with Robert, with Robert England, England yeah. was yeah, he's, just, he's a blast. just amazing. And now I'm like going to start a, a, a new movie, uh, which is a survival uh, back to high tension. Oh, you know, like, but, but it's a disaster. It's a hurricane uh, survival movie set up in Florida with uh, some you know, alligators. Oh, wow. So going back to your roots. Yes. Yeah. And it's a really, really scary edge of your seat uh, script. It's one of the scripts where you, you, know, you, you get exhausted just by reading it. Wow. Not because it's... It's, it's not yeah, good. Because yeah, because it's so, you're it's t- so tighten your yeah. nerves. Yeah. It's very intense. It's really, uh, can you tell the title? It's uh, Crawl. Okay. Crawl. But it's, Crawl. it's a walking uh, title. I don't know yet if yeah. you're going to, to use that. That's kind of a good title. Though. But it, it, it's a very, it's not a monster movie. It's really like a, a almost like a, just like a intimate survival thriller. Right, so it's, it's high not, tension. Yeah. yeah, it's more high tension than Piranha. It's it's it. In fact, it's very. There is something about Cujo, mm. you know, in in, in the in the in in the script, mm. the the way you know the heat, the the right, and and it's very, so emotional. Cujo is so emotional. That's pretty much like yeah. Uh, that's that's just one last thing I want to ask you about. Why do you think it is that high tension had such an effect on? What really didn't exist, the French genre film for a while didn't exist, and suddenly with Martyrs and uh, uh, and the Gaspar Noé yeah. films and and Ilves, they're very much a part of the same grouping. What what is French about that? What's in the French character that embraces that? You know, I think that the reason why uh, um, French movies, I mean, French movies is very very uh, the industry is really big, 
Right. We are still making, I think, 200 movies a year. Wow. Theatrical movies. Right. Uh, which is absolutely insane. We, I think we, we still, like, right after the U.S. and the West uh, mm-hmm. world. But it, it is also, most of the time, comedies, mm-hmm. some period, and a lot of drama. And the reason why is because the movies are fully financed by pre-sale on TV mm. and pre-sale on primetime TV, which means that there is no room for R-rated. Or, 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 oh, you know. So there is a, an indirect censorship. Yes, we have a final cut. You know, like in France, you don't even have to ask for final right. cut. Right, that's it's, a given. It's a given. It's protected by the law. Your movie is your movie. Even if you didn't write it, even if you just hired to direct, it's your movie. And you're just loaning the movie to producers. That's great. But there are some movies that you cannot make because the money comes only from a few sources. So that's one of the reasons why our oh, movies never never a, a big thing in France right. when we have an history of writing all and, and graphic novel right. that's gigantic. And I think that High Tension was the first one to show uh, um, an economic uh, uh, model mm-hmm. that made sense, where actually the foreign cell of high tension were big enough to, you know, live without the movie becoming a big, uh, 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 you know, like success in France or having pre-sales on TV. Right. Where the DVD and the foreign cell were enough to cover the cost of the movie. So you created a subgenre, the French gritty, really kind of brutal they, they horror were like, thriller. Gaspar was before me. Gaspar right. did uh, uh, um, Car, um, Seul contre tous, a standalone. Right, right. And and that was before uh, that was before High Tension. But really, High Tension was the first one that opened the door for for Martyr and for uh, a Frontier and and. Yeah. Inside and yeah, in, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, it was a pretty brutal subgenre. Well, I really appreciate you coming in and having a chat with us and giving us some insight into into your work. And I can't Thank wait to so see much. what comes next. Right, thanks, Alex. Thanks. If you're enjoying Postmortem, it would be a great, great favor to us for you to rate and review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Uh, You can access all of my video interviews and behind-the-scenes documentaries, things like that, at mickgarrisinterviews.com. Reach us on Twitter at PostmortemMG and on Instagram on PostmortemGram. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes. Calling all coffee drinkers. If you've been trying to enhance your daily coffee routine, then Quest has got your back with their brand new iced coffees. Now available in two delightfully delicious flavors that'll be sure to add an extra pep in your step. Vanilla latte and mocha latte. Quest has been on a mission to help fuel you with protein-forward foods you'll love. Each bottle of Quest iced coffee is packed with 200 milligrams of caffeine, the same amount as two cups of regular coffee, plus 10 grams of protein per serving to help you supercharge your day. And did I mention that they only contain one gram of sugar? It might just be time to cheat on your iced coffee with iced coffee. Find Quest iced coffees on Amazon.com slash Quest Nutrition. That's Amazon.com slash Quest Nutrition.